John chapter 4, and we'll start reading in verse 1, the familiar account here of the woman at the well. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, about noontime. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask, for me, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all this way here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have, this you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father. In spirit and truth, for such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. And then if you'll skip down to verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stand to stay with him. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. 
For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen. Um, So, wonderful, glorious account of Christ dealing with this Samaritan woman. You know, this is an interesting account because it's the longest account that we have of Christ, his interaction with a woman, actually, that you have in the, the New Testament. And uh, it's also an interesting account because of the setting. Um, in the providence of God, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. He was down near Jerusalem. He had just had this conversation with Nicodemus. He was on his way back up north to Galilee. And if you were a strict Jew, you know, you would have kind of made sure that you did not pass through the land of the Samaritans. Uh, you kind of go around. You would not want to go in there, you know. And they had reasons for that, but Jesus said he needed to pass through. He had, he had some business to accomplish. He was on his father's errand here, and it was the shortest route to get up to Galilee. So in the providence of God, he passes through this land of Samaria. And just to give you a little bit of a background, um, the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. Uh, if you remember, whenever they, whenever they would rail at Jesus, they accused him of having a demon and being a Samaritan. So it was like, it was on the same level of calling someone a demon. I mean, it was like, you're a filthy Samaritan. And they were hated uh, because they were kind of, they had kind of half Jewish blood. They were kind of mixed in with the nations there. When the king of Assyria had uh, come in and conquered them, he had sent some some Gentile people to go and inhabit that land, and they kind of uh, mixed blood and uh, it says that some lions came and started eating the people. God was judging them, so he said, well, send a priest back there. And the priest kind of halfway taught them about God, and uh, they kind of made up their own rules of worship and said, well, we're not going to worship in Jerusalem. We're going to set up this temple on this other mountain, Mount Gerizim. And, and so they kind of did their own thing. And so the, the Samaritans were hated uh, by the Jews. And if you remember during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, when they were rebuilding the temple, the, it was the rulers of the Samaritans that were opposing the work. Uh, and so they were, they were really hated by um, the Jews. So Jesus is passing through here, just to continue with our context. He's weary. He's tired. It's a, it's a dry desert day. Um, and he's thirsty, and he stops at this well. His disciples providentially had to go into the city to buy food, leaving him thus alone at the well. The well was about 30 yards deep, so, I mean, it's a deep well. He's, he's powerless to, to get any of the water to get a drink, so he's just sitting there waiting. And along comes this woman of Samaria. Um, it's interesting, you know, we don't know a lot about the woman, but you can kind of glean a few things about her. Uh, one, it wasn't a servant you know, if you if you were well off, you'd have a servant that would come and get do all your you know well drawing business. This woman herself came, so evidently she was not rich, evidently poor. We know that she had been there hundreds of times before because she complained about having to often travel the distance to go and get the water. Um, we know that she was somewhat older in life. We don't know how old she was, but old enough to where she had had five husbands. That apparently the marriages did not end well. Um, so this woman comes up and meets Jesus here. And so this is kind of the context of, of this meeting. Um, Jesus meets this woman at this well. And the first point I'd like to bring out for us to notice is this. Well, actually, one, one other thought about the woman. Apparently, she was notoriously sinful. And, um, you know, she was known 
uh, it was not common for someone to come to the well at noontime. The women would always come either early in the morning or at nighttime, hence why this conversation happened alone. It was at an odd time of the day. You don't, you don't go out during the heat of the day to do the, the hard, laborious work, you know, where you're going to be in the, the heat of the day. Uh, so that's why she was alone. So Jesus meets her here in this place. And the first thing I'd like to notice is this that God is in the business of unexpected meetings. I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made known to those who did not ask for me. I mean, that's an amazing thing that God does this repeatedly. He does this all the time across the world. There are people that had no thought of God the day they woke up and they went to bed a Christian with eternal life. He's in the business of unexpected meetings. She woke up with no thoughts of God, perhaps, no expectation of anything out of the ordinary. Maybe the guy she was living with yelled at her that day. It was a bad day. We don't know what her day was like that day. But she was about to meet the Savior of the world. And such are the plans of God towards sinners that you can have no thought of God, and God has all of these plans of grace toward you. She had been to that same old well thousands of times, only to come back again thirsty, right? She, it, it, it never satisfied. She had to keep coming back, had to keep getting more. And yet, this day was different, right? You see, I think kind of, I don't know that John was meaning this, but whether he meant it or not, you see this. Her, her daily life exhibited what was going on spiritually in her heart. She was coming, she had to keep coming back to this well every day, always thirsty, always thirsty, never satisfied, never satisfied. And that was the story of this woman's life. Never satisfied, always back to the same old well. Longing for affirmation, longing for love, longing for security that she had apparently sought in countless men. Longing, longing for that security that she's never going to be left, that she's always going to be cared for, and yet never found it. The world had left her high and dry. But this day was different because when she came to the same, that same old well, there's a man sitting there this time, a, a foreigner. She realizes by his dress, you know, she knew he was a Jew. He stood out. He didn't look like the other people. She, comes to the, she expects to come to the well, and there's no one there, and this time there's a man sitting there. And, and brethren, oh, blessed day in your life when you come across the Lord Jesus Christ standing there in your path, when you didn't expect it. Here sits the one who did have all that her soul ever longed for, all the love, all the acceptance, all the security, all, all that her heart had ever longed after. Amazing grace of God. Uh, next, just by way of general observation here, notice just the kindness and tact of the Lord in the way he dealt with this woman. Um, you know, he breaks the ice by asking her for something. You know, would you give me a drink? You know, I mean, he puts himself basically in a position of humility. He's saying, I'm in need of you to help me, you know, to, to get some water here. There's no virtue in always being confrontational or, or harsh or not just being friendly towards sinners, you know, and talking to them, dealing with them where they're at in life. It would not have gone well if he started off the conversation with, you know, you know Samaritans, you know, that's idolatry, right? I mean, that would have been a bad way to start off the conversation with her. But he t instead talks to her about what's already at her, on her mind. She's thirsty, and he's got something to say to her about water, although she doesn't understand it at first. Notice just his tact, verse 9, he's unoffended. You know, she's, 
She, she never even gives him a drink. He, as far as we know, he never even got a drink out of the deal. The, the conversation got totally, totally sidetracked to spiritual things. Um, but he, he, he's not put off by her saying, like, you know, you're a Jew, and why are you talking to me? You know, I'm a Samaritan woman. You can't do that. He doesn't, even, he, he doesn't even deal with it. He bears with her in her fleshly understanding. Even after he's talking to her about eternal life, he, she thinks he's still talking about just running water or fresher water than the well that she had there. He gently deals with her in regard to her sin. Woman, go and call your husband. I mean, think of the, the way uh, of dealing with sin in that way. I mean, just so mild, so meek. And yet for her, it was like a dagger straight in her heart because she knew he, she knew then what he was talking about when he was talking about living water. So um, those are just some kind of general observations. Let's kind of get, get into the meat of the conversation here. So looking here in verse um, 10, the substance of the talk. If you knew the gift of God and who it says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In verse 13, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So, the first point I want us to bring out is this. He tells her that whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. He's telling her something about the nature of the world's water or all that the world has to offer man spiritually. So what is it? What are the waters of this world? Well, it's anything and everything that you put in the place of God to fill your soul. It's anything and everything, whatever it is, that you're putting in the place of God. J.C. Ryle said this, Riches and rank and place and power and learning and amusements are utterly unable to fill the soul. And the truth is this, you know, you know that what he says is true. By your, everyone here knows this is true by your own life's experience. I mean, you've been there. If you're a Christian, you've been there. If you're lost, you're there right now. You know that your soul is not satisfied. You know that you've gone to that same old well. You've tried it out a thousand times, and it's never filled you. It's never satisfied you. There is no life there. There's nothing, there's nothing lasting there. There's nothing to meet the deep needs of your heart. Your soul is left thirsty. Jeremiah 2.5 they walked after emptiness and became empty. I mean, you wonder why so many people are on antidepressants, anti-anxiety. It's not because there's that much mental health in the country. All of a sudden, you know, like this is some new thing that's happening. It's because people are depressed. They have no life in their soul. They're walking around like zombies. They're feeding the flesh. They're living for fleshly things. And they have no life. They don't know Christ. It is horrible to be lost. Sin, what does sin do? It, it promises you life, but all it ever delivers you in the end is death. It's a lie. It's not true. You know, you can see these pursuits more easily in a child. You know, I remember, and I've shared this before, when I was a child, you'd get one video game, you'd be so excited about it, you know, you'd be jumping up and down, you'd play it for ten hours straight, and it's gone. The joy of it's gone. It's just so fleeting. Or, or you hear, oh, we're going to go to the swimming pool this day. Or we're going to do this. And you're, you're just latching out for whatever you can in this world to give you some meager satisfaction, some spiritual life. And yet it's not there. Men turn to alcohol. They turn to drugs. They turn to amusement. 
People turn to careers, to riches. You know, adults are just more sophisticated in their pursuits. It may be less obvious, right? But it's the same thing. I'm going to be the greatest doctor. I'm going to be the greatest this or that or lawyer. Actors and actresses get to the top in fame and look at half of their lives. They're divorced. They're on drugs. They're miserable. Some of the wealthiest men commit suicide. They get to the top. They, get, they finally get all the money. They get everything they could possibly want, every earthly comfort. In the, in, in the end, their heart is still a black hole, empty. This thirsting, it should be noted, is not an innocent thing. Flip with me here to Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2, in verse 11. Has a nation changed gods when they were not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and shudder. Be very desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. My people have committed two evils. According to God, this is evil. It's evil to turn. Why are men in the condition that they are? Because they've turned aside from God. They've turned aside the source, the fountain of life, the fountain of living water, and they've made broken cisterns, their own devices, their own pleasures, which can hold no water, which cannot satisfy Brethren, if you've not seen this, this is true. The human heart, I mean, it is a black hole. I mean, it is endless. It is an endless pit of need. And there is only one person that can fill it. Only God can fill it. God has made that heart for himself. And he's the only one that can really fill it. Your spouse cannot fill it. I mean, Brother Charles has shared this before. If you try to make your spouse God, you will destroy them. If you try to get everything your heart needs out of that person... You will destroy them. They can't give it to you. There's only one that can give it to you, Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can meet the deep needs of your soul. Alcohol can't give it to you. Investing in your children. People idolize. They live for their children. I mean, you see that, you see that all the time. Money, comfort, success. Proverbs 20.15, the leech has two daughters. Give and give. Right? It's just, yeah, it, it's endless. There is no end to it. Why go back to the same old well? You know that you'll thirst again. And brethren, it ends in an eternal thirsting, right? I mean, hell is a place of endless, endless, never being satisfied. There's no living water in hell. Next point. Oh, how different is the water that Christ gives. Living water. And I just want to read a verse to you from John seven, thirty-seven, because he mentions this again later on. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So what, what are these living waters? Well, he says it very clear. It's in reference to the Holy Spirit. 
It's the gift of God, the Spirit of God, and all of the benefits that come with receiving the Spirit. He's thinking of all of the life, all of the joy, all of the love, the experiences, the rich experiences of a life given to God, of a soul that drinks of this water, the life of God in the soul of man. So Jesus is saying this. He's saying, trust me. He's saying, believe me. Take, I've got it here. I'm the source of all that your soul needs. So what, what do these, living, these life-giving waters bring to the soul that drinks? Well, it brings love, right? The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The embrace of God. I mean, is there anything greater? Security, acceptance. I mean, to know that you belong to God and that he's never going to leave you. He's never, he's never going to forsake you. As, Sol, as the Song of Songs said, I have found the one whom my soul loves. To know that God. How about peace? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. Contentment. The, the frenzy. The frantic rat race. The endless pursuits of man. Over. Peace in trials. Peace in death. Rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your soul. Joy. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Life. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. You know, it's amazing. I mean, do you realize that that's what Jesus Christ came to do? He said, I have, that's the reason I came. I have come that they might have life. You know, a lot of people think Jesus came to take from them, right? I mean, they think, in, in your mind, you're thinking, oh, if I, if I go down that path, he's just going to demand all these things from me. I'm going to I'm have to go to church every Sunday. I'm going to have to give money to the church. You know, all these demands. I'm going to have to change my life. You don't understand. He's taking the things away from you that don't matter to give you the things that do, to give you lasting treasures. Lasting pleasures. Charles Spurgeon has the famous illustration of the woman uh, who uh, was renting a place, and she didn't have the money to pay her rent, and she was hiding. She kept getting a knock on the door, and she would hide, act like she's not there because she didn't have the money, and she's terrified. You know, he's going to kick her out of the house, and maybe she's been late two months, who knows. And so she keeps hiding, and she goes to church that next Sunday, and the minister says, you know, I kept coming to your door knocking. I was going to give you several months' rent, you know, to, to be able to pay for it, but... You know, you, you weren't there. And that's exactly the same way people are hiding. You're hiding from Christ, thinking he's coming to collect the rent. All the while, he's saying, I've come to give you living water. I've come to satisfy your thirsting soul, to give you eternal life. He came to give, not to take. Notice, notice this life, though. This, it says that this living water becomes in the person a well of water springing up, bubbling up to eternal life. It's moving, it's, it's active, it's life transforming, and it carries you all the way to heaven. So who is this one? Who is this Jesus, this man that this woman encountered? Surely this was the strangest encounter she ever had in her life. Who is this one that can give you life, that can give you peace, that can give you joy? He is God. 
He is saying, I'm the same one in the book of Jeremiah. The Lord said, I'm the fountain of living waters. You have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And here Jesus Christ is saying, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who speaks to you, you would have asked him, and I would have given you living waters. He's saying, I'm the same one in the Old Testament. I'm the same God. I'm the one that can meet your soul's need. I alone can fill you. And he is man. I mean, look at this. He's sitting there weary, dusty, tired, thirsting, and yet at the same time telling this woman, I can give you something that will carry you all the way to eternal life. It's amazing. You have both the deity and the humanity of Christ just side by side right here. Never able to get a drink himself, yet all the while giving her, in the process of giving her something, living water. How is it received? Well, he says right here, right? If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, if you knew the gift of God, you would ask, Brethren, we cannot fathom all that God has to give to man. Boundless stores of grace, boundless stores of mercy and love. Brethren, if we could be transported to heaven for ten seconds and see the glory of Christ be with him, experience the pure air of heaven. I mean, you would be willing to suffer anything. You would go through any hardship, any trial, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew what it was just to make it to heaven, just to be there with him. You would forsake, you would die a thousand deaths. You would give up anything if you knew the gift of God. And yet Christ is not asking you for for you to die a thousand deaths, is he? He's not even asking you for to die one death to get it. It's not a requirement. He's saying all you have to do is ask. I mean, it's free. It's amazing. A free gift. No work. No labor. It is a lie. If you believe that there is anything that you have to do to earn this gift, to work for it, to labor for it, or you have to clean yourself up a certain amount or make yourself a certain amount presentable before God, before you can receive this, it is a lie. This woman, all she was, was honest. When Jesus said, go call your husband, he He put his finger on her sin. She said, I have no husband. He prophesied and said, you're right, you've had five, and the guy you're living with right now is not your husband. She was honest, and God met her where she was. She didn't clean up her life. She didn't do anything, but Jesus met her. Jesus saved her, and her life was transformed right there on the spot, changed, transformed. It is a gift. No cleaning up your life. Coming just as you are, a weary, thirsty sinner, tired of sin, Ready to let it go. So that's the question today. Are you thirsty? Are you tired of sin? What should you do? You should ask. Ask. And Christ will give it to you. He will. You know, some people don't ask because they fear Him. You're afraid of Him putting His finger on you saying, Go call your husband. You're afraid. He's going to expose you. He's going to deal with your sin. Brethren, He knows it anyways. Right? The woman went around testifying. He told me all things that I've ever done. She realized who she was dealing with. She was dealing with God who knew her innermost heart, who knew her life. Transparency. That's how God wants us to be with him, right? Nothing hidden. Just bring it all out there on the table. Just lay out all the filth and all the sin. Say, here it is, Lord, this is what I am. I'm never going to be anything else unless you, unless you do something in me, unless you give of this living water to me 
Some people don't ask because you're playing church. You're satisfied with religion. You know, you, you think you've got the real thing. Self-righteousness. Some people don't ask because they think harsh thoughts about Christ. You know, that he's coming to collect the rent. That he's not really, he does not really have what is best for your life. He's not really going to give you what is best. Oh, brethren, but he is good. He is, he is good. He's He's overflowing with these living waters. He's the Lord of living waters. Will he respond? That question comes up in your heart. What if I did and he didn't answer me? Brethren, the Bible says that he will, verse 10, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He, he will do it. He will answer you. He will answer the soul that asks And just to close here, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Same kind of idea about who Christ is. So I say to you, Luke chapter 11 verse 9, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For every one who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by a son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Christ is saying the same thing thing here. He's saying, ask. He's good. He's overflowing with goodness. He wants to shower mercy on your life, grace upon your life. He wants to give you eternal life. Just come, just ask. And he'll do it. Well, amen. Uh, Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do just say that you are so good. Lord, you are the Lord of living waters. We pray, Lord, we pray for these life-giving waters. Lord, we pray that you would grant it to thirsty souls. Lord, we pray, uh, Lord, you'd break down every barrier wall. Lord, like how you softened this woman's heart, you disarmed her and dealt gently with her and made these exceedingly great promises to her, Lord, and uh, Lord, we just pray that you deal with us. Pray you'd put your finger on sin in our life and pray for the lost, Lord, that they would come, that they would drink, that they'd be satisfied in all that you are and all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.